This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Have you ever heard this pompous slogan, democracy dies in darkness? The fake news coined it a couple of years ago and, uh, well, the code, basically, it's code for uh, give Trump a hard time and cover up for Joe Biden. All right. That's what it means in actuality. Um, they only shine a light on Joe Biden when he wants that light. OK, when he's ready to give a big speech. Trump, they're always trying to find something. And when they can't find something, well, they just make it up. Um, and when he has a no kidding, clear cut accomplishment, right, something that is so newsworthy and big and, yeah, great for him. You got to show it on the news, right? You got to. You can't shadow ban President Trump right after he wins the Iowa caucus. I was too busy watching that speech um, on Newsmax, actually, and marveling at the 30-point victory to give the fake news much consideration on Monday night. Uh, so I'm a little late to find out that they had the audacity, the nerve, the arrogance to deny their viewers access to President Trump when he's making the most important speech, really, so far of the political season, of the year, certainly. He won Iowa. He's in first place by 30 points. Let the man speak. Why not listen to him? You talk about him all day long, CNN. Watch what happened. We're going to seal up the border. Because right now we have an invasion. We have an invasion of millions and millions of people that are coming into our country. I can't imagine why they think that's a good thing. Donald Trump declaring victory with a historically strong showing in the Iowa caucuses. If these numbers hold the biggest victory for a non-incumbent president in the modern era for this contest, a relatively subdued speech as these things go so far, although here he is right now under under my voice. You hear him repeating his anti-immigrant rhetoric. Uh, he did take time to praise his rivals, Haley and DeSantis and Ramaswamy by name, rather un-Trump-like to do that, uh, gracious, but perhaps a sign of some message discipline, at least for one night. The most pompous guy in the world and a hideous decision. Who are these people, right? Why did they get into this? So he could sit there, stand there in his suit and judge people? What is he, a political message discipline? Let the man speak. That's what they used to do, right? Especially cable news. 24-7, let's take the speech. Can't believe they did it on, uh, on Monday night. I can't. But I, you know what? I, I, I should not be surprised. MSNBC did it, and, uh, well, they've done it before. But our success was so incredible. You've been listening like never before. to the former president announcing that he uh, is running for president again, rewriting the history most recently of the midterm elections. Um, at this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, we will keep an eye on that as it happens. Uh, we will let you know if there's any news made in that speech, if there's anything noteworthy, something substantive and important. You know, it's um, it's kind of tragic for our country. It really is. 
<laughs> to do that. And these speeches that Donald Trump gives are actually not all that hard and not all that easy to find on YouTube. YouTube plays all kinds of games here. Uh, you know, big tech, shadow ban. What about that darkness, uh, light stuff about democracy? No, they're just going to turn it off. You know, it's one thing on television. It's bad, but it is just TV. What about in a courtroom? What about in a courtroom? So um, you know that this E. Jean Carroll person is, uh, well, said probably the most awful thing you could say about somebody with absolutely no evidence, right? She can't figure out the year, but she alleges that Donald Trump sexually assaulted her in 1995, 1996. And by definition, there is no evidence to back this up. None. She has zero. Um, she's benefited so far. I mean, this is her when she first made the allegation. This is her more recently on the right. You see, right? Uh, she can already smell the money. She probably already has some from Reed Hoffman and who knows who else. Donald Trump can't do this in court, can't raise fundamental issues about her credibility. But I can! Uh, have you ever seen this before? She talks, takes people on a, on a walking tour of her, I don't know if it's a cottage or an outhouse, but it's uh, something to see. Some very distinguished uh, mice live here. Uh, Kahneman lives in the kitchen, Tversky lives in the bedroom. This is my shed. And on that side are the books that most influenced me growing up. On the door are the list of my dogs, Marky, Fortuna de la Spunky, Heidi, Bloody, and Hepburn. The streams and the rivers were dry, and I, it so horrified me that I came out and started painting the rocks blue to indicate that there was once a river here. And then after I got done painting the rocks, I just sort of walked over here and then did that tree and then did that tree and then I did this tree. And then pretty soon I'd done this whole forest. So that's Eugene Carroll. And uh, look, sexual assault is awful. It should never happen. And it can happen to people from all walks of life. But you got to remember, she has absolutely zero evidence. And let's pretend she accused you, right? What would you think after seeing that? What would you think after watching her on that Anderson Cooper video or interview where she said rape is sexy? What would you think? You'd probably agree and maybe you would say exactly what President Trump said. My lawyer said, sir, you don't have to do it. I actually said, I think I should. It would be respectful. They said, sir, don't do it. This is a fake story and you don't want to give it credibility. One That's thing why you, I didn't go. One thing you did do in this. And I swear, and I've never done that. And I swear to I have no idea who the hell, she's a Mr. whack President. job. I, can anybody look at that video and write, this is a big country, 300 million people, to find somebody to come forward and make a crazy allegation, I don't think it's all that hard. But some really dangerous things are happening, and this is happening right now. Donald Trump was in court here in New York City today uh, confronting his accuser, but he really can't confront her because... Well, he is hemmed in by pretty onerous restrictions. Let's go through some of them, please. Uh, right here, lays it all out. Uh, it has been determined already that Mr. Trump did sexually assault Ms. Carroll, that he knew when he made the statements about Ms. Carroll that they were false, that he made them with reckless disregard. That's from Judge Kaplan. His mind is made up. Um, I don't think he's being fair. And he seems to be very hostile. Next, please. 
In fact, that Mr. Trump sexually abused, indeed raped Ms. Carroll, has been conclusively established and is binding in this court. Now, here's the thing. Here's where the whole damn system, like Al Pacino said, is screwed up. There's no evidence. There's, there's none. This is what rigged justice looks like. This is horrific, folks. He's a man who cannot, at this point, profess his innocence. Take a look at this. According to the judge's rulings, Trump cannot claim he did not rape Carol, nor can he deny that he sexually assaulted her or question her motives or claim she was lying. You know, if you have a law degree and you're not outraged by this, the whole system, the whole legal system is out to get this person and could easily be out to get you and me and a person who does not have the means of President Trump or the fallback option of possibly becoming the president of the United States. Uh, and the legal community actually thinks this is fine. The legal community, at least the one you see on TV, a lot of lawyers out there, you're being way too quiet. I know you know this is wrong, but maybe you're afraid of losing clients, uh, drawing too much attention to yourself. So these are the people who carry the day. This is a very experienced federal judge, a very tough federal judge, and um, uh, Donald Trump had better not cross those lines. Judge Kaplan has been on the bench for a long time, since 1994. He has good courtroom control, and that means he doesn't tolerate nonsense in his courtroom. This, though, is a judge, Judge Lewis Kaplan. A lot of people say judges are no nonsense. He truly is. He runs a very tight courtroom, uh, and we're, we'll see what more he does about this if Trump does continue to uh, attend the court uh, hearings. The media, totally useless, huh? You know, so Donald Trump is in that courtroom, and he can't profess his innocence. That's how screwed up this whole thing is. You know what's fascinating? This is, I guess, the, uh, the penalty phase. They're actually just trying to figure out how much money E. Jean Carroll gets, all right? Um, even convicted murderers, convicted the worst of the worst, serial killers can get up in court during the penalty phase and still say they're innocent. What I can tell you is I didn't kill anybody. What I can tell you is I didn't stalk anybody. And what I can tell you is I didn't dispose of any corpse. I didn't do it. I'm innocent, Judge. I mourn with all of you who mourn my children. Jesus Christ knows the truth of what happened here. Jesus Christ knows that no one was murdered in this case. That judge isn't freaking out. That judge isn't threatening the defendant. People are allowed to say things in court that they want to say from time to time, right? Especially, especially now. So Trump, oh, how about this? During the penalty phase of, uh, remember this guy, the South Carolina case and the lawyers and the whatever was going down on that plantation, it was pretty weird, right? He even got to say he was innocent before they sentenced him to prison for the rest of his life. One more thing, JJ, going back, I do want to tell you as to how close I feel to you. My wife loved you, and you are absolutely right about everything you said, but you are dead wrong about one thing, and I would never hurt Maggie, and I would never hurt Paul. And it is important to me that you know that. So it's amazing. A uh, convicted killer 
gets more freedom, more rights than Donald Trump. You know, as they arrested him and brought him into this courtroom and that courtroom all over the country, I thought that, well, some judge would get involved and, and see through this crap, right? And would straighten these prosecutors out. But it hasn't happened. It looks like they're in on it. The whole system is in on it. And, you know, we've seen this before throughout our history, America's history. Martin Luther King, we just had MLK Day the other day, right? You know, he's really grown on me over the years. That whole judge people by the content of their character, not on the color of their skin. What's not to love about that mantra, that philosophy? The woke left, they can't stand him anymore. He's become a conservative hero. Uh, we know about the I Have a Dream speech. We know uh, the mountaintop speech. But do you know about the letter? He wrote a letter from jail. His speech gets, of course, uh, most of the attention. Uh, but it was the letter that he wrote from Birmingham jail four months prior. It was April of 1963. And it was in that letter he wrote it to a bunch of clergy who had questioned whether his, his civil disobedience was the best Effective, way. Yeah. Uh, and he writes this letter to the clergyman basically saying this is the only way. Mm -hmm. And it was in that letter uh, that we came to, to know the phrase, a threat to justice anywhere is injustice everywhere. I got that letter right here, April 1963, 16 April. Uh, it's 14 pages long, and it's beautiful. So I went through it at the suggestion of a friend, and I found something very profound, all right? Let's go ahead. Letter from Birmingham Jail, MLK. Sometimes a law is just on its face and unjust in its application. Also this, uh, you have to remember, we should never forget that everything Adolf Hitler did in Germany was, quote, legal, unquote, and everything the Hungarian freedom fighters did in Hungary was illegal. Isn't that kind of fascinating, right? The powerful can rig the system to get whatever they want and to stop whatever they don't want. This is an injustice, what we're seeing here with the Eugene Carroll, everything else, the documents, we know it, sound lawyers know it but it's just being celebrated by our official culture. There are consequences in court, and the judge has made that very clear to him. If Donald Trump keeps up with these statements that Carol's lawyers said that it's a witch hunt, it's a con job, that can taint the jury. The judge is not going to have it. A disruptive party, even a defendant in a criminal case, can be removed from a courtroom. I've seen it happen in a criminal case. Judges have to do that on rare occasions to guarantee fairness in the process, because it's not only the defendant who's entitled to a fair trial. In this case, it's E. Jean Carroll as well. Any word that a defendant says, number one, can be used to impeach him, can be used as evidence against him uh, or, and frankly, can be used to hold him in contempt of court, depending on the nature of the statement that is made. It's the giddiness and the one-sidedness. And where's the ACLU? Where is, um, I don't know, the American Bar Association? This is not right. And you know what? The powers that be, right? The powers that be. Where were they for Martin Luther King? Like the FBI, right? Things come around. And I think this is going to come around. And let me tell you something, false accusations happen in life. They do. And there are evil people out there and mentally ill people. And E. Jean Carroll, I do believe my opinion has a lot of problems and she is not to be believed. You said you were, you were 
obviously fighting. surprised, fighting. Right. Were you scared? Were you no, angry? Too, were you... I was too panicked to be scared. Too panicked to be scared, okay. You know. Uh, you said adrenaline was pumping. I assume it was. Right. Did he say anything? No. No. It was just like, we're going to do this thing. We're just so hot for each other. Uh, or wh I don't, wh why would I even try to think what he was thinking? Anyway, the word rape carries so many sexual connotations. This was not, this was not sexual. It just, it, it hurt. It just, what, it just, you know. But I think most people think of rape as a, I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not I think most people rape. think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. We're just going to take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll talk more on the other side. You're fascinating to talk to. So the stuff that you just saw, uh, I think, seriously bring raise questions about her stability, state of mind, judgment, all kinds of things, right? Donald Trump wasn't able to introduce this during the trial phase, not able to, not able to bring it up. Um, that was deemed irrelevant somehow. And now uh, he can't say anything during the penalty phase. He can't, but killers can. Where the hell are we right now? Hmm? Judge Kaplan, is this why you went to law school? Is this, is this really what you are all about? Think back, wherever the hell you went to law school, right? Is this? Anyway, they're messing again with the wrong guy. If anybody can take it, we see Donald Trump taking it. Uh, this, was, this was pretty wild because he goes from the court up to New Hampshire, and he's going to go... Check it out. Well, thank you very much. So, uh, as you know, uh, the First Lady's mother passed away. The funeral is tomorrow, and we would have assumed that for a trial like this, it's not an emergency in terms of timing. Uh, the judge would have been very nice and would let me go because I want to be at every trial day uh, because I saw what happened in the first one where I was asked not to go by the lawyers very much. They said it, it's demeaning. There was no evidence. There was no anything. And so I didn't go, and I understood exactly what he meant when he said it was demeaning. There was no reason to go, and you shouldn't go. And I decided on this one, same judge, same judge. He's a radical Trump hater. And uh, I said, uh, I will go to all days. So what happened very terribly is we asked to just delay the trial for one day so I could go to the funeral tomorrow, and then we could start Friday or Monday or any time they want. And he said, absolutely not. The trial will go on just as it is. You can go to the funeral or you can go to the trial, but you can't do both. I thought it was terrible. I thought it was terrible. So he would rather have me miss the funeral or go to the funeral, miss the trial. And that's a nasty man. He's a nasty judge. He's a Trump-hating guy. And uh, it's obvious to everybody in the court. It's a disgrace, frankly, what's happening. It's a disgrace. Happens to be a... Clinton appointment, but I'm sure that has nothing to do with it. So that's as to that. Uh, second order of business, I'm leaving right now for New Hampshire. We're making a big speech up in New Hampshire. <laughs> they thought it would kill him. They thought it would kill him. Now it's just out of New Hampshire and we'll win there, huh? How about that? So amazing, just amazing. And my gratitude to the brave attorneys, right? People like Alina Haba. People like Mr. Keis, people like Mr. Laurel, people like Mr. Benal, people like Mr. Sawyer, people like Todd Blanche, and people like 
Rudy Giuliani. All right? They are heroes. They are heroes, and they're paying a big price for this. Personally and professionally, it shouldn't be that way. So what do they like to say again? Uh, democracy dies in darkness. Hey, let's face it. There's a lot of light coming from this show. We'll be right back with some Nikki Haley stuff. Nikki, do we trust her? Be right back. Last evening, I met my friend here, we met in person, and I told him that I would endorse Donald J. Trump for President of the United States and do everything in my power to lead us to victory in this war. All right, I love it. I love it that Vivek Ramaswamy and Donald Trump are now friends. Uh, I'm really impressed with Vivek. I know some people grumble about him, but I think he's pretty cool. Uh, you know, he really detests Nikki Haley. He and Nikki Haley, it sometimes seems personal. I'm not a fan of Nikki Haley either. Um, and I think, though, it's okay. It's not a big deal if somebody calls her by her full name. Now, Nikki is her, I don't know if it's her middle name, or let's take a look at it. Donald Trump put out a tweet, all right? Now, I know this is hard to read. You know, he's just, well, ripping on her, as you're allowed to do in politics, right? Anyone listening to Nikki, I'm not going to read the whole thing, okay? But the first part, Nimrata, Haley's whacked out speech. All right, so he used her uh, full name, and I guess it's kind of, well, Indian, right? It's a Nimrata. Is there a problem with that? No, there's no problem with that. It's, um, you know what they're saying, though, right? That this is, yeah, racist to use somebody's name. That's what they're actually saying. From the courtroom to the campaign trail, Nikki Haley has been closing the polling gap with former President Trump in New Hampshire just six days before the primary there. And now he's training his rhetorical sights on her, doing it with one of his tried and true methods, the racist attack. Trump calling Haley by her full given name, Nimarada, misspelling it significantly, by the way. Yeah, that's the racist, just the thing we were talking about, using her full given name is racist. I read through the whole tweet. I said, is there, there's got to be, there's got to be something else, right? No, it's just, it's just using her name. You're not allowed to do that, apparently. There is still race in this country. It's apparent in this race. Um, and and at, at this point, I mean, I don't know what worst thing he could say about her. Well, but we, are we are many, <laughs> many days away. What worst thing could Donald Trump say about Nikki Haley than her first name? This is how warped we all are right now. You know, quite frankly, that she is not using her name, right, suggests a certain lack of authenticity. It does, actually. People use politicians' full names sometimes when they want to make a point, when they want to, I don't know, the authenticity thing, actually. George Bush. I'm talking about, well, the first George Bush, okay, the first George Bush. George Herbert Walker Bush. That's what people would call him when they really wanted to get under his skin because George Herbert Walker Bush hated that. He hated it. He didn't want anybody using his first. He's the ultimate wasp, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant guy. Did not like his whole name used. It's not racism. He's been complaining, was complaining about it all the way back in World War II. Nikki Haley, you better get over that one. And uh, let's face it, you got a lot of money these days. This should not this should not rock your world at all, okay? But the fake news, I guess they're going to be rocked for you. We'll be right back.
Look at that. The state of Iowa, that is Trump country. Every county except one, except one. Nikki won one by one vote. Overall, he won by 30 points. It is just an astounding political achievement. And somebody who helped make it happen? Our very favorite, Carrie Lake, who's currently running for the U.S. <laughs> Senate in Arizona. You know, she she grew up in Iowa, and Donald Trump spotted her in the crowd. He knew she was there, and she was among the very first people that he thanked on Victory Night. Take a look. I see Carrie Lake. Congratulations, Carrie. I spotted her, I have to announce, because she's terrific. She's going to be a senator, a great senator, I predict, right? You're going to be a great senator. You've got a special plate in his heart. Uh, it's, it's obvious. Welcome back. How are you? Um, I'm doing great. I'm so ecstatic, just like I think so many millions of Americans after that big victory for President Trump. And really, he deserves all the credit and his amazing team on the ground in Iowa. Um, they worked really hard. And the people of Iowa just know, Greg, that when President Trump was in office, our lives were better. That's a fact. And they want to get those great policies back. So all day long for the past three days, when they talk about Iowa, they don't really like talking about Iowa now because Trump went so big. But I've heard, oh, it's just a bunch of uh, hard right extremists. They're all those crazy evangelicals. You know about those evangelicals. They're trying to portray Iowa as a crazy bastion of conservatism, unlike New Hampshire. What do you say about that? Well, it was just a few days ago they were trying to get the evangelical vote, and now they're dismissing it. They're dismissing people who love their country and love God and, and worship Jesus. I think that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. These are great Americans, and they voted for President Trump overwhelmingly. I, I personally believe Iowa is a great place to start off the whole uh, you know election season because the people of Iowa are willing to take the time, listen to people who they even disagree with, sit through through a year of politicians showing up and talking to them, and they do their due diligence, and they sure did it. They showed up in 19 degrees below zero weather to vote for President Trump, many of them walking blocks. The, one of the, the place that I was at, Greg, it was so crowded, they had to walk a couple blocks. They had to find new parking lots and open up a second gymnasium for all the people who wanted to show up and vote. Huh. And they got those neat tunnels in... Um in Des Moines. They're not really tunnels, they're bridges between buildings. I, <laughs> I, 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 you, all right, well, we'll talk more about Iowa uh, later. Hey, we got to talk about Arizona. Uh, you're running for the U.S. Senate, and I think we have your brand new ad uh, about immigration. Let's take a look. 10,000 illegals pour into the U.S. every single day. Crime, drug deaths, homelessness, it's hurting every community. With President Trump, we had a secure border, but Joe Biden and his enablers, Kirsten Sinema and Ruben Gallego, destroyed that security. When we take back the U.S. Senate, we can fix it. I'm Carrie Lake, and I approve this message because my vision is to make Arizona safe, affordable, and great again. Oh, boy. Uh, very well done. Um, I think we can get everybody to agree on the border, maybe, except the globalists. Even Democrats think we should have a border and legal immigration, not illegal, right? Well, you'd think so, but my two opponents, Kirsten Sinema and Ruben Gallego, 
they want to have the open, they want this problem because they want to get billions and hundreds of millions of dollars and pour it into the symptoms like processing people coming here illegally. They don't want to fund the wall to stop people from coming over. So this that's why this election is so important, Greg. It's about choices and the choices are very clear. Do you want a wide open border? Do you want 12, 15 million people pouring in, using up our services? While, meanwhile, we have homeless Americans uh, riding on the streets. Do you want a secure border? Do you want a strong economy like we had with President Trump and with uh, with America First Republicans, or do you want the nightmare situation that we are all living in right now? And and that's why it's a real clear choice. Voting for me means I'm going to be helping in D.C. to put America First policies back in place that make all of our lives better. Even if you're a Democrat, your life is going to be better under me and under President Trump. You know, um, we got a poll here. There's this Gallego character you mentioned. I'm not familiar. We know about Kristen Cinema. Kirsten Cinema, uh, who's who's Gallego? What's his deal? He's a far left, uh, frankly, Marxist who's a congressman right now in the district of Arizona that has the fastest growing homeless population in the country. Uh, we've got veterans rotting on the streets homeless. Meanwhile, he's all for giving everybody pouring across the border amnesty and asylum, the asylum seekers asylum. This is a guy who has put America last. Uh, this is a guy who walked out on his wife when she was nine months pregnant with his firstborn, and he will walk out on the people of Arizona, and we can't have him in the U.S. Senate. He's been a nightmare in Congress, voting against everything that uh, had to do with securing our border. He's for tax increases, and he's just your typical radical leftist Democrat. And the people of Arizona don't want that. They're tired of those policies. And so I think um, that, that polling that his people put out showed me up above him in the polls. And I think that's a very big sign that Arizona is going to vote for America first patriotic uh, people who are running for office. Well, that would be great. Um, best of luck. Gosh, it's uh, it's crazy what's happened to this country. And Truly. Uh, yeah, we so appreciate what but you're doing. But we can turn it around. I don't want to leave people feeling hopeless. This can be turned around quickly, starting on day one. Get President Trump in the White House, get me in the U.S. Senate, and elect a whole bunch of America First patriots around the country. And I want to end on a hopeful note as well. But are you a little bit worried, as I am, that the, the far left, they're going to try something else? Who knows what it could be? You know, they arrested him. They actually went that far. They had him arrested, and it didn't work. Are, are they just going to try to, you know, show up on Election Day and hope for the best? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, that's the way it should be. But I, I, I'm a little bit worried about that. Are you? I don't put anything past them. I really don't. But we are going to show up in such huge numbers. I don't think they can uh, pull the wool over our eyes again. I don't think the American people will accept um, the kind of funny business that has been practiced in the past. And we're going to show up in massive numbers. And that's why they're trying to arrest him, frankly. But he could be sitting in Alcatraz and the people of this country will vote for <laughs> President Trump. Yeah. And you actually said once, and I think you're right, that uh, someday the entire country it's going to understand that and recognize it. He has uh, appeal that I think can transcend red states, blue states, and all that stuff. Maybe someday. That's right. All right. Thank you, Carrie Lake. Good luck. And um, thank you. To be continued. We'll be right back. President Biden and his administration have refused to take any responsibility for the catastrophe they created. And now the Biden administration is doing what it does best asking taxpayers for more money. 
But more money isn't going to solve much on the border. Because what we are seeing isn't a money problem. It's a policy problem. It's a problem of not enforcing U.S. immigration law. No amount of money can fix bad policy. Wow, Jim Comer, uh, he's the chair of the Oversight Committee. You know, he's not only concerned about the Biden family corruption, but also the security of our country. Congressman Comer, Republican of Kentucky, joins us once again. Sir, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for being here. But just that one thing is hanging in my mind, policy. It's not if we change. Is it all about a policy change? Under the policies as they exist right now, if he executed better, could that go a long way? in fixing the border situation? Couldn't he, under the rules that are currently there and laws, couldn't he do better if he wanted to, a lot better? Yes, he could do a lot better. But if we wanted to to get serious about it, we would revert back to the Trump era border policies. We had Tom Homan as one of our key witnesses today who spent uh, 30 plus years uh, in the business of, of, securing board, of securing the border. And he mentioned something that I think is very important He said even President Obama and President Clinton wanted to secure the border, that Joe Biden's the first president uh, in his lifetime who wanted to have an open border policy. And what's happening now is the the Democrats are panicking because of what's happening in the in the blue cities where the mayors of of New York City and Washington, D.C. are saying you're going to have to do something about illegal immigration. So they're trying to spin with the with the media a narrative that the reason the border's not secure is because there's a lack of funding. And the purpose of that committee hearing was to prove it's not about the funding. It's about both the policy of the Biden administration with respect to the southern border and the will of the Biden administration to secure the border. And the policies can be changed overnight, just like he changed them overnight. Right. That's not a matter of law. That's a matter of the agencies just changing the the rules. It's not a matter of law or is it? No, I mean, he did it by executive order. And we passed legislation in the House, H.R. 2, but unfortunately, it's it's uh, dead on arrival in the Senate. You know, if you talk to the Border Patrol agent, they will tell you that one of the changes the Biden administration has implemented is they've got them uh, changing diapers. They've got them, instead of securing the border, becoming the welcoming committee. They bring people, when people come across the border, they take them and they, they change their diapers. They fix them a warm meal. They fill out their paperwork. This is stuff that could be done by temporary workers. Our border patrol needs to be securing the border. But what Joe Biden's done with a wink and a nod is he's pulled all the border patrol off patrolling the border. And it's wide open. And that's where all the fentanyl is coming from. That's where all the sex trafficking is coming from. And this is a huge issue. People in Iowa talked about it last night. And I think it's going to continue to be a huge issue. And and we are not going to let the Democrat... coordinate with their friends in the liberal mainstream media and say it's about funding. It's not about funding. It's about bad policy. Hey, um, Hunter Biden, it seems like 10 years ago, but last week, I think he showed up at your uh, one of your hearings and then ran away and ran down the hall. Here he is getting a few questions from a reporter. Let's go with that, please. Mr. Biden, why did you put your dad on speakerphone with your business partners if he had no involvement in your business? Do you have a dad? Does he call you? Yes. Did he answer the phone? Yes. Okay. But why did you need to talk to him during business meetings if he had nothing to do with your business? It's not, actually. But, all right, he uh, didn't have anything to say about that. All right, so uh, it seems open. It seems like an obvious display of contempt of Congress, literal display of contempt of Congress to do what he did, sitting in that front row and walking out. Yeah, uh, there's no question. 
that's why we have a vote scheduled Thursday. And that's why over the past uh, 48 hours, Abby Lowell has been on the phone begging and pleading with us to give them another chance. And I think we're in a very strong position. Uh, I know Jim Jordan and I both have the position we would like to depose Hunter Biden. He's a key witness in our investigation of Joe Biden's influence peddling. Uh, we've got a bunch of uh, depositions and transcribed interviews on the books over the next five weeks. I think it's a pretty impressive schedule over the next five weeks. So uh, we're in talks now uh, to get him to come back. Uh, if he doesn't, then uh, the, if, if we can't get a resolution, then I think you're going to see Thursday uh, a, a unanimous Republican vote to hold Hunter Biden in contempt. And where are we right now on impeachment? You know, we're halfway, we're more than halfway through January. It's an election yeah. year. Personally, it looks to me like that's a lot of impeachable stuff that you have them on. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you've got to factor in a lot of other stuff. What's, what do you think is going to happen? Well, we're wrapping up the oversight investigation. The oversight committee doesn't impeach. The Judiciary Committee impeaches. So uh, the, the end of our investigation are these depositions and transcribed interviews. Uh, so if we can get something nailed down with Abby Lowell over the next 24 hours, then Hunter Biden will be the very last person we depose. If if uh, if not, then uh, that'll be a, a box that wasn't checked. But uh, it's not going to shield him from uh, criminal referrals and, and all the other uh, uh, accountability that he's going to face with our investigation. So we're hopeful that we can wrap these uh, depositions up uh, in the month of February, maybe on into the first week or so of March. And then uh, we'll probably hand this over to the Judiciary Committee and, and they can uh, take it and run with it. Hey, real quick, that Abby Lowell guy, he is uh, one of the biggest lawyers in Washington, D.C., maybe one of the richest, been there a long time. If you go to his website, it says, I help my clients navigate uh, Capitol mm -hmm. Hill. Uh, now he seems like a stuntman. Right. I mean, the stuff that he's pulling mm -hmm. off in these weird, aggressive letters to agencies, you should investigate people um, for Hunter Biden who would mess with Hunter Biden or uh, and violated whatever. What's he like to deal with? It doesn't seem like a good guy at all. Well, I, we faced a lot of obstruction. That's, uh, that's that's putting it mildly. But I think some of Abby Lowell's tactics are backfiring on him. I mean, you saw David Weiss released yesterday information that we didn't know. We didn't know the gun that he's being charged for uh, lying on a gun application. We didn't know that gun had cocaine all over it till David Weiss released that yesterday. And I think David Weiss released that after five years of silence on it from the Department of Justice because he's sick and tired of these stunts. You know, uh, some of the media try to say, oh, uh, the House Oversight Committee got played. No, the, the Biden legal team got played. Now we're in a position to where it looks like People in the Department of Justice are fed up with these these stunts, these political stunts, these made-for-TV appearances and the filming of their documentary, and uh, they're ready to uh, to wrap this up just like we are. And I, I think that that puts us in a very strong position. Uh, we're going to give him an opportunity to come in and do that deposition, uh, but uh, he's going to have to come in and answer some tough questions. And I think that that's uh, what the American people expect. We've spent too long accumulating too much information that's too vital to our national security not to ask Hunter Biden uh, what exactly uh, happened to to uh, initiate these transactions with our enemies around the world to the tune of millions of dollars to the Biden family. Congressman James Comer, thank you very much. Continue the great work and uh, we'll be watching. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back.
All right, remember the guy who interrupted Trump's big speech when he won Iowa by an historic 30 points? Interrupted so he could come on and nitpick and make criticisms and just, that's Jake Tapper, possibly the most pompous guy in the world, who I think has a vested interest in, well, Trump losing. He wants that to happen. And um, gosh, a ridiculously high opinion of himself and fellow people in the media too, watch. Being a journalist is the best job in the world. Asking challenging questions of the folks who run the world. Is Ukraine gonna win this war? Yes, of course. You ready? The Lead with Jake Tapper, CNN, next. Wow, huh? Challenging questions. Asking the guy who's in the middle of the war, are you gonna win the war? Um, challenging. Best job in the world? I like my job, but um, not actually building anything, right? I mean, not saving lives, right? A guy, an ophthalmologist who can fix something, right? Or I don't know. I just, there are a lot of great jobs out there. What a silly, silly promotional tool, huh? And then the stuff I was talking about, how he really wants Trump to lose, like so many of the other fake news media, because, well, they said stuff like this. This is December of 2020. I mean, I'll cover him the same way I, I covered any other former president, which is to say mm. a, a little bit, but not to a large degree. I mean, I have covered Barack Obama and George W. Bush and Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter and George H.W. Bush. I mean, they have been people I have covered on my show. I mean, they have not dominated my coverage in any way. And I don't anticipate that Donald Trump will either when he once he's a former president. So that's why he doesn't want to talk about him, right? He's wrong! 30 points he won by, see, chip on his shoulder. We'll be right back. Newsmax Plus, have you signed up for it? Please do, it's great. I actually have it, I do. Um, it's in my wife's name, but we pay for it as a family and uh, it's great. You get access to all of our Newsmax content and there is so much of it. Thank you for your consideration and I'll see you tomorrow.